coming up in this episode. Execute. The family man has a secret. He's the pilot of a Predator drone. He heard the missile come in. He looked right at me through the camera of the airplane. And after the kill. Now I have to figure out in 45 minutes how to transition back from I just killed a human being to that five-year-old's daddy again. He flew fighter jets, and for the last 10 years of his 20-year career, he commanded drones. He was the man that commanded the mission that killed American terrorist Anwar Alalaki. Now, he's gone from hunting terrorists to being hunted by them. Basically, Colonel, what you're saying is they have actually asked anyone out there who can to kill you, correct? Yes. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Got a very graphic situation. San Bernardino. Upwards of 14 people that are dead. We are now investigating these horrific acts as an act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They want you to imagine them in the shadows as something greater than they are. Hostile nation states. They can't inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. This is Target USA. America in the crosshairs. Whether it's anarchist, cyber criminals, nation states, or terrorist, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. I'm J.J. Green, previously on Target USA. We know that uh, there are individuals and groups that have remained intent on attacking aviation, as we've seen in other parts of the world. And our job is to deter, detect, and disrupt any attempt to do so here. Peter Neffinger, Administrator for the Transportation Security Administration, spoke candidly about the issues and threats facing aviation security, specifically inside the airport. He said their job is to deter, detect, and disrupt any threats to aviation. TSA is a part of a team of American assets involved in that disruption. But there's another group that takes disruption to a whole new level. They're drone pilots. And it might surprise you to know, not all of them are overseas. Some of them are right here at home, maybe even in your own neighborhood. People like Mark McCurley. After 20 years as a fighter pilot, a drone pilot and commander, Mark McCurley retired from the U.S. Air Force as a lieutenant colonel. And his story is remarkable because he was involved in some of the biggest and most controversial terrorist killings in modern U.S. history. And as a drone commander, he and his crew also saved the life of a Navy SEAL under fire from the Taliban. And perhaps one of the most remarkable parts of his story is that a terrorist stared right into his eyes through the camera of a drone before a Hellfire missile turned out the lights for that terrorist. We talked with McCurley about that and numerous other elements of his career, including that controversial drone strike in 2009 that killed Anwar El-Awlaki. You were the commander the day, at the time, at the hour, when AQAP's uh, spiritual leader, Anwar El-Awlaki, was engaged and killed by a U.S. drone. Is that correct? That is correct. 
Step us through that to, to the degree you can. What happened? Well, you know, that's uh, one of the more controversial operations, I think, that we've flown, uh, considering that he's an American citizen. Uh, and that, that weighed on our minds. Uh, but we, we looked at it uh, as objectively as we can. And I'm sure you're aware of the white paper that the White House put out. Um, yes. Yeah. Lockheed, you know, being the editor of their uh, English language recruiting magazine, uh, being very uh, prolific in his teachings uh, and influencing many terrorists, including the Sarnia brothers, uh, the Fort Hood shooter, uh, among others. And, uh, it, and it was deemed that, that an operation needed to be undertaken. Unfortunately, uh, the government of Yemen did not allow us to put boots on the ground for a capture operation and left us with one uh, real option, and that's the kill option. Uh, and for us, we, we tracked him for about a year uh, until we finally you know, nailed down where his exact location was and were actually able to get eyes on him. For the several days prior to the strike, he had been active uh, on his network and, and running in the area that we expected him to be in. And so we actually followed him for a couple of days there, uh, keeping an eye on him. Uh, for the chain of command, sometimes because of high, how high level this is, we had to put together what they call a concept of operations to explain how we would conduct the operation and brief at every level of uh, that chain of command. That can be time-consuming. Uh, when we talk about a fighter in combat, like for a close air support mission, it could be the, the platoon leader as the ground commander approving the strike, and it can happen right away. But for something this high level, you know, it, it takes sometimes it takes hours between briefs just to track down the next individual in the chain. Uh, so we started working this several days before uh, we actually did the airstrike, and uh, we got the the call that morning that did, we got the green light that morning to conduct the operation. Anticipating that call, we put our aircraft in what we call alert status. They were loaded, they're gassed up, they're ready to fly, but they just sat in the hangar. Uh, for that call that I describe in the book. And for the whole day, we sat around the squadron. We had nothing to do because airplanes weren't flying uh, and just waited. And uh, the only time that unit called us is when they needed something. And knowing what was at stake when that call came, we, I knew what it was going to be. What went through your mind? How fast can I get them out of the hangar and, up, and off the ground? No one alive, at least among those that are able to talk about it, knows what Olaki's last moments were like and what he saw and experienced when the Hellfire missile came in. But McCurley had a very unique experience. He's written a book about it called Hunter Killer, and he shared with us exactly what happened in another situation very similar to Olaki's. The Hellfire missile, when it comes in, uh, is close to the speed of sound. So you'll hear a shockwave uh, just a couple of seconds before the missile hits. And uh, oftentimes we'll see a, a target realize at the last moment when it's too late what's about to happen and react to it. And uh, I'm reminded of uh, one of the, the stories in Hunter Killer uh, of a facilitator that we had to take out. And the, the ultimate goal of the operation was to eliminate him to enable us to capture more than a dozen operatives he had around the world uh, getting ready to do a coordinated terror strike. Uh, and we couldn't risk him warning them off as we started rolling up these teams. Uh, in the last couple of seconds, uh, because of how low I had to get, uh, because of weather, uh, to make the shot happen, he heard the missile come in, and he looked right at me through the camera of the airplane. Uh, and so I basically, even though it bridged 8,000 miles, I looked him in the eye as he died. And while this may sound militaristically glamorous, it's not. 
because McCurley says there is a cost that has to be paid by the remote warrior, the person who flies a drone that's thousands of miles away from a kill. You know, when you see the the effect of a missile hitting and killing a person, it has a psychological effect. Uh, It really weighs on your mind because no sane person wants to kill another human being. In the military, sometimes that's our job. It's not very often, but sometimes it is. And we have to deal with that. It's not like being in a firefight uh, where you're engaging all your senses. You smell it, you hear it, you feel it, you taste it. Uh, it's, it's horrible. And what our, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines outside the wire have to do on the ground uh, is truly horrific. For us, we're a little more detached because it's just a video. Uh, but in the end, I know that when I pull a trigger, the person on the other end really did die. It wasn't Hollywood special effects. It was a real person in high definition dying in front of me. Uh, and we have to suppress that a little bit when we do our jobs because the natural human reaction is not to do it. But it's our job. And so we have to be technically proficient and we have to uh, be as professional as we can. So we have a set of steps to, to turn off the laser, safe up the weapon systems, and start conducting our image review or battle damage assessment, if you will, to verify that the target was in fact killed. And we have to distance ourselves emotionally uh, but over time, that that's uh, very difficult to do. What's it like when you get up and your shift is over to go home with that on your mind? Uh, it can be difficult. In theater, our, our soldiers have a little more time to, to deal with the emotional traumas that they see. Uh, and they see a lot of traumas. Uh, but they have the the small benefit, very small benefit of having some time in the field available to them to... Uh, come to terms with what they have to do and what they see. Uh, for predator crews, because we only have the visual imagery, what we see is not as impactful as it is for those guys. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, we see it more. Uh, for example, I wake up in the morning uh, and I'm a five-year-old's daddy. And I have to be that care- carefree, happy guy that's playing with the kids. But when it's time to go to work, I have to I have 45 minutes to transition from that daddy to being a warrior. And on a good day, I'll fly my whole shift and I'll see nothing other than just surveillance operations. On a bad day, I have to pull a trigger uh, and deal with the consequences of that. Instead of having a couple of weeks or even months to deal with that uh, in theater, I now have to figure out in 45 minutes how to transition back from I just killed a human being to that five-year-old's daddy again. And on a single-day basis, not that big a deal. But when you do it a thousand days in a row, uh, it starts to wear on you, you know, like the death by a thousand cuts. And you know, it, it gets harder and harder to deal with. Guys get worn down. They get exhausted. And, uh, and, and you see that when you look at the reporting out of Creech Air Force Base and how hard these crews are working just to keep our soldiers and sailors, airmen, Marines alive. Um, it can be a tough life. McCurley's retired now and left that life behind, or so he thought. Because coming up in our next episode... Basically, Colonel, what you're saying is there is a standing hit. They have actually asked anyone out there who can to kill you, correct? Yes. You know, we are in a war with terrorism right now, and we can always expect that our opponents will make any uh, effort necessary uh, to win. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.